Welcome to today's podcast, Casting Down Idols. This is the podcast where we talk about addictions and recovery from a biblical point of view. I'm your host, Pastor Mike Dixon, and I'm addressing the problem of addictions from my own personal experience, but most importantly, from a biblical perspective. Whether it's drugs, alcohol, sex, shopping, gambling, or overeating, or whatever struggle you may be facing, I want you to know there's hope for change. It's my prayer that through this podcast, you'll pick up some tools and encouragement that will enable you to live addiction-free. I've been clean and sober now for 31 years, and you can too. Whatever it is that binds you doesn't have to bind you any longer. So let's learn, grow, let's encourage one another on this road called recovery. Welcome back, everyone. So glad you're tuning in today. I want to begin by asking you a question. Do you really want to change? I mean, do you really want to change? We're going to be talking about that today as we talk about this very important topic of repentance. This is episode number six. It's hard for me to believe I'm already on episode number six. I'm trying to do an episode each week, releasing these on Tuesdays of every week. I want to thank you for listening to the previous episodes. If you've missed some, I want you to go back. You can check that out on iTunes, and you can catch up on the episodes that you've missed thus far. And don't forget to go to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. That way you'll get a notification each time a new episode is posted. Also, we'd be thankful for your positive reviews on iTunes, as well as any five-star ratings you can leave me would be a blessing. And don't forget to share on your Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter, whatever your social media of choice is, and help me get the word out to folks that are struggling that there is hope for change. There is hope for change. Yeah, the good news of the gospel is you don't have to stay the way you are. And we all ought to be in that process of change where we're yielding to God and allowing God to bring change about in our lives. I mean, don't you want a better life? Don't you want more peace? Don't you want to be able to experience a life with more joy? Wouldn't you rather have the blessings of God upon you than the judgment or the cursings of God upon you? Wouldn't you really like to walk in the abundant life that Jesus talked about in John chapter 10, verse 10? Well, my friend, the only way that's going to happen is we've got to get a handle on this biblical doctrine of repentance. First, let me tell you what repentance is not. Repentance is not just being sorry about your past behavior. I'm sure the presence are full of men and women right now who are sorry about their past behavior. They're sorry that they committed the crime that they committed, but really they're sorry they got caught because so many of them, once they're released, they go right back into the same kind of lifestyle that they were in before they went into their present sentence. And so repentance is not just being sorry about your past behavior. In fact, let me share a passage with you. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and I'm going to begin to read in verse 8. Now, I'm reading out of the New King James Version of the Bible, but the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8, Paul's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. Now, Paul's right there to say, Paul's talking about the letter of 1 Corinthians. We're in 2 Corinthians here, and 1 Corinthians is a very direct, very harsh letter. Paul had to deal with some big problems, some major issues going on in the church at Corinth. And so uh, he's saying, you know, I was sorry I had to write that letter, but I don't regret it. 
uh, because it had to be written. He goes on in verse eight and he says, for I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance for you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. Now listen to this. This is verse 10. I'm in second Corinthians chapter seven, verse 10. He says, for godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Now, Paul's saying there's a worldly sorrow, and I'm telling you today that worldly sorrow is a, I'm sorry, I got caught kind of sorrow. It may be tears and it may be some degree of remorse, but it's not repentance. Godly sorrow that leads to repentance that Paul's talking about here to the church at Corinth, that kind of sorrow leads to lasting change. See, that's what we're talking about today. All of us want change. In fact, I believe everyone living on planet Earth right now desires some type of change in their lives. The sad fact is many, even within the church today, are not really aiming for that change that God wants and that the Bible dictates to us, but they're living and operating out of a sinful heart and they're seeking self-centered change, personal happiness, personal gain, personal wealth, personal respect, and whatever that desire may be within a sinful heart. We should look to God. God created us. God knows better than anyone how we ought to be living our lives. And none of us, let's be honest, me included, none of us are doing that perfectly. And so there's areas in our lives that need to change. Now, godly sorrow leads to repentance. Repentance is not being sorry. A Sunday school teacher was teaching her Sunday school class of six and seven-year-olds a very important Bible lesson on repentance and what it means. At the conclusion of the lesson, she asked the question to her class, who can tell me what repentance is? One little boy said, I know what repentance is, teacher. It's being sorry about your sin. The teacher smiled and she said, that's part of it, but really it goes a little further than that. A little girl raised her hand and she stood up and she said, teacher, I know the answer to that question. I know what repentance is. Repentance is being sorry enough about your sin that you stop. I'm here to tell you today that little girl had it very close to the mark of what repentance is. Repentance is not about changing behavior. Repentance is about a change of the heart. A change of behavior is a result of true biblical repentance. A true change within is going to show forth on the outside. Jesus makes it clear in Scripture that our problem is not behavior on the outside, but the problem is much, much deeper than that. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, beginning in verse 21, Jesus is speaking, and he says, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So it's not what's on the outside, not even our behavior that defiles us. It's what's inside. You see, your behavior and your language and your speech and the way that you live your life does not come out of thin air. It comes from deep within your heart. What you're believing to be true dictates your thoughts, what you're thinking in your thought processes. That, as a result, is going to be displayed in your life outwardly by the way that you live. 
And so it's not enough just to change the outward, just to change the the behavior, just to modify someone's actions. It's got to get deeper than that if we're going to get to the core, and that's to the heart of man. Repentance is a heart issue. True biblical repentance is seen very clearly in Luke chapter 18, verse 13, where the publican is lifting up his heart to the Lord in prayer, and he's crying out, he's beating his breast, God be merciful to me, a sinner. True repentance involves a change of heart, a change of purpose, which is shown forth in a change of behavior. I want to share with you today a biblical example of what true repentance is. I know you probably remember David. When you think about David in the Bible, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? David and Goliath? That little boy David, how he was able to run out in that battlefield and stand before that giant in the power of God and knock that giant down with just a few stones and a slingshot and the power of God all over him. That's an amazing story that we probably all remember well. But you know, the Bible says about young David that he was a man after God's own heart. But there was a time that David failed miserably. In fact, God had already ordained David to be king of Israel. And as David was king of Israel, this account's recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 11. The Bible says that David, as he was walking on the roof of his palace late one evening, and the palaces had flat roofs, as many of the houses did back in this time in this part of the world. And people many times would go up on the roof of their homes to meditate or just to have quiet time or just to relax. And the king's palace usually was the highest building in the community, in the village. And so David is walking leisurely on the roof of his palace, and he looks down, and he looks down to the dwelling next to his palace, and he can see in the window a woman by the name of Bathsheba, and Bathsheba's bathing. She's a very beautiful woman, the Bible says. King David immediately in his heart begins to lust after this woman. Now, David, again, remember, he's the same David that God used to kill Goliath. He's the same David that the Bible refers to as being a man after God's own heart. And yet we see David being tempted to sin. In fact, David's not only tempted to sin, but he gives in to his sin. He asks his guards, he asks, who is this woman? And the guards say, well, you know who this woman is. This woman is Bathsheba. She's the wife of one of the commanders in your military army, King David, Uriah. David then gave the order to his guards, I want you to go and get that woman for me. Of course, the guards did what they were told, and King David ended up committing adultery with this woman, with another man's wife. And not just any man, but this man was in the military. He was a commander in King David's military. Well, Bathsheba becomes pregnant with King David's baby. King David knew that he had to figure out some way of covering up what he had done. And so he figured up a scheme. He figured out what he would do is he had Uriah return home from the battle to take a break from the fighting. And while he was home, King David's plan was to have him go and stay with his wife, Bathsheba. And if they had sexual relations together, then by the time Bathsheba began to show that she was pregnant, Uriah would think that child was his. Well, David's plan would have worked, except he underestimated Uriah's loyalty. Uriah did come home at the king's beckon, but Uriah refused to lay with his wife and to stay with his wife, citing, how can I, how can I lay with my wife and have a time of pleasure when I know that my men are out there on the front lines fighting a battle? I cannot. So King David went to plan B. He commanded the other officials in the army to take Uriah out to the very front lines to the heat of the battle. 
And then David said, I want you to give the command that everybody withdraw. I want you to leave Uriah there by himself. Of course, David's plot was that Uriah would be killed in battle, and the plot was successful. Uriah was killed in battle. King David, thinking now he had covered up all his tracks, no one knows. He hasn't told anyone about his sin with Bathsheba and the fact that Bathsheba's carrying his child. Now that Uriah is dead, he takes Bathsheba to be his wife. And the baby is born to King David and Bathsheba. Even though King David thought no one knew what he had done, God knew what he had done. And God was going to deal with King David. You know, God will always deal with his children. And God knows what you think nobody else knows about. God knows about it. God knows what's in your closet. God knows what's under your bed. God knows what you do when nobody else is looking. God knows the schemes in your mind and the sins of your heart. God knows. Many scholars believe that as much as a year passed by and David felt like he had gotten away with murder, he had gotten away with adultery, that his plan had worked and nobody had found out, and then God steps in. In fact, it's recorded in Second Samuel chapter 12, God sends a prophet by the name of Nathan to King David, and Nathan comes before David and tells him a story. He says there were two men in one city, one was rich and the other was poor. And the rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb, which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up in his home as a member of the family with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. And I'll pause right here and ask, I wonder how many of you have a pet like that. Maybe you have a dog, maybe you have a cat. That's like a member of the family. And so in this story, this poor man has this one little lamb. That's not just like a lamb, but like a member of the family. And he goes on in verse 4. Nathan's talking to David, and he tells the story. He says, And a traveler came to the rich man, who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who would come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Now, this is the story that Nathan told to David. The very next verse, in verse 5, it says that David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And David's response to Nathan was, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. Nathan goes on to tell David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? God dealt with David in his sin. David thought he was going to get away with all these things that he had done against God. He thought he had kept all these sins secret. He thought no one knew, but God knew. You know, whatever you think you're hiding right now in your life, whatever you think there is that nobody else knows about, I just want to remind you, God knows about it. And if you belong to God, God's going to deal with that. The best thing to do is to get right with God right now. And this is where repentance comes in. Repentance really is a work of God that God does within us, in our heart. It's not just sorry I got caught, but it's being sorry enough to quit. It's being in brokenness and humility before God with a broken heart about your sin, asking God to forgive you and asking God to change you, that you won't be continually caught up in this habitual lifestyle sin that you've been caught up in. God used Nathan to come before David to just reveal to David that God knew what he had done. 
And the Holy Spirit did a work in King David's heart. And David was broken after this event before Nathan. He was broken about his sin. Not just sorry that God knew about it, but he was reminded about his love and his relationship with God Almighty. And he was broken because King David realized, I have sinned against God. I have done this evil in his sight. He knows what I've done. How could I have been so foolish to have fallen into temptation and to sin against God and to sin against Uriah and to sin against Bathsheba the way that I have? In fact, it was in brokenness following his confrontation with Nathan that God used David to write Psalm 51. Psalm 51 in the Bible is often referred to as the Psalm of Repentance because following Nathan's confrontation with King David, And as the Holy Spirit broke King David's heart about his sin, David cried out to God. I want to read this psalm to you because it has everything to do with what we're talking about today in repentance. And I want to show you in this psalm, as David pours out his heart in repentance and brokenness towards God, how this relates to you and how it relates to me. The Bible says in Psalm 51, David writes and he's calling out to God. He says, have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. You know, I want to pause right there. That's through verse 4 of Psalm 51. And I want to relate this to our struggles. When I think about repentance and I think about how David cried out to God in Psalm 51, true biblical repentance, I believe, represents the end of some things. But then at the same time, it also represents the beginning of some things. And right here at the very beginning of this chapter, in these verses I just read, the first thing I see here in David, and all it's true of you and it's true of me as we experience biblical repentance. Number one, true biblical repentance marks the end of fooling ourselves. The end of fooling ourselves. You know, I come to true biblical repentance about my addiction, about my sinful behavior. I stop making excuses for it. I stop fooling myself by calling it by other names like it's a weakness it's a failure it's my shortcoming and i begin to call it what god calls it it's not just a problem it's not not just a mistake but it's sin according to god i remember a story of a young man who once said to his preacher he said i don't think i'm a sinner and the preacher asked him if he'd be willing to tell his mother or his sister or his wife all the things that he had done After a moment, the young man said, no, I certainly would not like for them to know, not for all the world. You see, this man was fooling himself. The things he had done wrong didn't look so bad to him until he began to see those things through the eyes of his mother or his wife or his sister. And then he began to realize the truthfulness of his past behavior. You know, David in verse four says in this crying out to God, he says against you, he's talking to God against you, you only have I sinned. He's saying, I've sinned against you, God. I have done evil in your sight. Actually, David admits his sin six times in the first four verses of Psalm 51. If you're going to come to a place of recovery, if you're going to come to a place where you begin to put the past in your past and you begin to walk away from the addictive patterns in your life, you've got to reach this point where you stop fooling yourself about your past behavior. 
True biblical repentance marks the end of fooling ourselves. It brings me to a place where I admit my sin. I take possession of it. I take ownership of it before God. It's my sin. I wonder today if you've done that. Stop calling your sin a disease. Stop calling it a sickness. Stop calling it a shortcoming. Stop calling it a a problem with uh, genetics. Stop calling it a hereditary problem that you struggle with and start calling it what God calls it. Lord, have mercy upon me. I've sinned against you. True biblical repentance means the end of fooling ourselves. It also uh, means the end of blaming others, the end of blaming others. David says in verse 2 of Psalm 51, he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Over and over and over again in Psalm 51, David refers to his sin. He's taking responsibility finally for his own sin. You know, we live in a world today that likes to pass the buck. And so much of secular therapy today, clinical psychology today, in dealing with people's struggles and problems, point to the past. They say, well, you're like you are because uh, your mother and your father didn't pay enough attention to you. You're like you are because you experienced some traumatic experience in your life. You're like you are. It's not your fault. We don't want you to feel bad about yourself. It's somebody else's fault. Well, my friend, true biblical repentance means that you come to a place where you stop blaming others. Everybody wants to blame somebody else. It's somebody else's fault. Carl Truman, age 19, won $74,000 plus medical expenses after he sued his neighbor for running over his hand. His neighbor claimed he didn't realize Truman was stealing his hubcaps at the time. Yeah, I agree. That's crazy. But that's where we live in. People don't want to take responsibility for their own sin. But when I come to true biblical repentance, it marks the end of fooling myself. Now I'm going to call it what God calls it. It's sin. I'm going to stop blaming others. It's not somebody else's fault. It's not someone else's sin. I'm going to take ownership of my failures, my shortcomings, my sin. It also marks the end of trying to cover it up. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 51, I pick up where I left off in verse 5. David writes, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. No doubt there's so much that goes on in our world today that people think is hidden. Economists often talk about an underground economy. They say that there's a whole different economic system in our country that's underground, that's cash only, no contract, no paper trail, covered up by schemes and careful dodging to avoid detection. Well, friend, let me tell you, in the sight of God, nothing's hidden. Nothing is completely underground. In true biblical repentance, you've got to get to a place where David came as he cried out in Psalm 51, verse 6, Lord, in the hidden part, you make me to know wisdom. You know my heart. You know every secret that I've tried to keep hidden. True biblical repentance marks the end of fooling ourselves. It marks the end of blaming others. It marks the end of covering up our failures and our sin and thinking that we can keep those hidden. But true biblical repentance also means the beginning of some things. First of all, it means the beginning of concern for God's presence. Most important thing in my life as a believer is God's presence in my life. I want the Holy Spirit of God to just work in me and to work through me. That's got to remain a priority. King David cried out in verse 11 in Psalm 51. Listen to what he said in verse 11. He says to God, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. 
David in his repentance. I mean, suddenly he's so concerned about losing his fellowship with God. He's thinking that his sin may cause God to turn his back on him. He's repentant. He's broken before God. Before this, all he's doing is thinking about himself. Before God sent Nathan to confront David, all David was thinking about was himself, his own pleasures, covering up his own crimes, covering up his own sin. But now he's not just concerned with himself. Now he's concerned more with God and God's presence in his life. Again, in verse 4, David says, Against you, God, you only have I sinned. I've done this evil in your sight. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, where we've got the biblical account of Nathan confronting David, right after David acknowledged his sin, I want you to listen to something that Nathan said. It's recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 14. He said, However, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, because of your sin, You have marred your witness. And in the face of a watching world, you've given people around you, you've given pagans, you've given unbelievers reason to blaspheme God because of your sin. It's a burden on my heart. I never want to be guilty of that. God, help me live my life not to be a stumbling block, but Lord, help me to live my life to be a stepping stone. And over the years, I've met many people who have claimed repentance. In due time, the fruit of repentance reveals whether or not that that decision is genuine or not. One of the characteristics of those who have turned out to be a phony is that they've always been more concerned with themselves than they've been concerned with God. You know, we've got to realize that our sin is always an offense towards God. We need to live in that awareness. Let me tell you something else about true biblical repentance that also marks the beginning of concern for others. In verse 13 of Psalm 51, David cries out to God, And he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. You know, before, as David was trying to cover up his sin, he was just thinking about himself. But now he's concerned about his fellowship with God. He's also concerned with those around him. He's saying, Lord, if you'll forgive me in my brokenness right now, as I cry out to you, I'm going to be concerned with teaching others that they won't end up where I am. True biblical repentance also marks the beginning of true joy. True joy. I remember my life before Christ, before I surrendered, there was nothing but loneliness and darkness and depression in my heart. In my testimony that I gave in episode number two, I shared a little bit about how I was at a point in my life, even as a teenager, I didn't care if I lived or died. I had so much pain with inside me, so much pain that I was trying to numb with the drugs and the alcohol just trying to find some way of escape, some thing I could do to take me out of reality and just help me forget, even if just for a short period of time. There was no real joy in my life before I came to Christ. True biblical repentance is a heart change. It's a work of God that God does within us, and it's the beginning of true joy. And always before true joy comes true brokenness and repentance towards God. Hear what David cries out to God in Psalm 51, verse 14. He says, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not desire or delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. And back up in verse 12, David says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Okay, I've given you a short Bible lesson today on biblical repentance from the life of King David. 
Now, as I close this episode, let's draw it all together. Let's apply it to your life and to my life and to our struggles and the addictions that we face. Let me ask you, in your recovery, have you come to true biblical repentance? You say, well, Pastor Mike, I don't know. How can you tell? Well, let me give you a test. All right, you ready for a test? I've got five simple questions I'm going to ask you. And I just want you to be honest with yourself in answering these questions and pondering the answers to these questions. How would you honestly answer? Number one, are you now more Christ-focused than you are self-centered? Are you more focused on Christ today than you are focused on yourself? When you are, your attitude is not going to be focused on what you deserve or what you feel like your rights are or what you think you're entitled to. No, it's living to honor God now, not living to honor myself. You know, here's one of the major problems in most secular recovery programs and many faith-based groups today is that so many of them stress a supreme focus on sobriety and being clean instead of simply living life to honor God. Your sobriety and your effort to be clean is not supposed to be your main motivation in your life, nor is it supposed to be the bullseye that you're aiming for. You're supposed to be living your life to bring honor and glory to God. In our life ministry, when I deal with our folks on Tuesday nights and we grow together and look to God's Word together, one thing that we stress is that the life ministry is not here to help you stop drinking, and we're not here to help you stop using drugs. In fact, I would say we're not here to help you break out of any certain addiction or struggle you may be experiencing in your life. The life ministry exists to help you in your relationship and fellowship with God Almighty. See, sobriety is not supposed to be the motivating force in your life. Your life shouldn't be about, let me do everything I can just to make sure I don't take a drink. Let me make sure I do everything I can to make sure I don't go back and use drugs. Let me do everything I can to make sure I don't fall back into the habitual lifestyle sinful patterns that I've been addicted to for so long. No, my friend, sobriety is not your focus. That's not your bullseye. You ought to be living your life to bring honor and glory to God. That should be your motivating factor. That should be the reason that you live life. So in your recovery, how would you answer that question? Are you now more Christ-focused than you are self-focused? Question number two, do you seek ways right now to serve others? There's an old Chinese proverb that says, when you help someone push a wagon up a hill, they make it up, but so do you. One thing we try to do in the life ministry here at Oakdale Baptist Church is we try to get our life group involved at least quarterly in a community outreach. We go to the local homeless shelter and we serve a meal and we offer a class there uh, for those folks. We want to get out into South Rocky Mount and minister to people through an outreach. We've got planned July 20th coming up. It's going to be at a location known as Tip Top Park in South Rocky Mount. We're going to have a free food distribution. We're going to have a concert. We're going to have free food. We're going to have counseling available. And we're just going to reach out to those around us. Just like King David, when he came to true biblical repentance and brokenness before God, there was such humility that was expressed from his heart's desire to God, as recorded in Psalm 51. And he wasn't as concerned with himself now. He's more concerned with others around him. And so do you seek ways to serve others? Yeah, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself. We should show preference to one another. Question number three, are you taking responsibility for your life right now? Too many people that are caught up in substance abuse disorders 
alcoholism, drug addiction, gambling addictions, pornography addictions, whatever the addiction may be, many times uh, when they fail and they falter, they're so quick to blame those around them. They say, well, it's my wife's fault. She nags me. It's my husband's fault. Uh, he doesn't love me enough. Um, it's his fault. It's their fault. It's society's fault. It's the fault of someone who's harmed me in my past. And we end up with a victim mentality that will never help you in recovery. Are you taking responsibility for your own life? Again, over and over again in Psalm 51, David cries out and he says, my sin, my sin, my sin. He's taking responsibility for his own life. Question number four, are you thankful? In your life, is there a true element of thankfulness? Are you grateful? You know, I find people that are caught up in addictions tend to have a poor me, woe is me mentality. So many times they're in the pit of self-pity and all they see is themselves and all they think about is what they want. And all they think about is what they think they deserve and everything that they've missed, all God's blessings that they've not received in their lives. And I think that's a big problem that ends up with so many relapsing and going back and using is they've not learned to cultivate a thankful heart. You know, King David was so thankful to God after he was restored to God through this event of brokenness and repentance in his life. How are you doing? How thankful are you? You know, a good discipline for you to do on an ongoing basis is just to make a list of all the things that you're, you're grateful for, all the things that you're thankful for, all the things that you can just give praise to God. And I know you have struggles. I have struggles too. Sometimes life is not easy. But I've got to get refocused. I've got to get focused on the giver of the gifts. I've got to get focused on God more than I'm focused on the gifts and this world around me. And I've always found that I've got so much to be thankful for. Question number five, have you learned to submit? So many people go through life with a prideful attitude. Well, nobody's going to tell me what to do. It's my life. I'll live it ever how I want to live it. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I'm master of my domain. Do you have a submissive spirit? Have you come to a place where you understand you don't have all the answers? Have you come to a place where you understand you need God? You need others. You need church. You need to be in a body of believers. You need to be around folks that are going in the same direction you're going in, who are striving to live their life to bring honor and glory to God. Are you there yet? Two hinges on the door leading to recovery, forgiveness and repentance. Without repentance, there's going to be no lasting change. And so, my friend, where are you at today? Are you more Christ-focused than you are self-focused? Do you seek to serve others around you? Do you look for those opportunities where you can be the hands and feet of Christ? I found out when you reach out to bless somebody else, you end up with a blessing too. Are you taking responsibility for your own life? Are you thankful? Have you learned to submit? Have you come to the realization you don't have all the answers? You need help. You need help from God. You need help from those around you. You know, as we conclude this episode today, I want to pray with you again. If I could do that, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this biblical truth that we've been looking at today on repentance. I thank you for making it possible for us. Lord, I know it's a work from you. And I know every single one of us, every person listening to this episode, even everybody out there who's not listening to this episode, we need change. We need godly change. Lord, we need you. We need one another. We need the truth of the word. We need to renew our minds. We need to be encouraged. We need to be thankful. Lord, we need to be submissive to you. 
And I pray right now that, Lord, you would do that work in us. I pray, Lord, that you would give us this gift of brokenness, that we would come to that place where we surrender to you, where we're more focused on you and to bring you honor and glory than we are our struggles and our own lives. Lord, that we'd be concerned with those around us to help somebody else, to minister to somebody else, to be a blessing to somebody else. Help us, Lord God. Help us in our recovery. Help us, Lord, as sinners who, without a shepherd, we're like lost sheep. And so we confess right now that we need you. Lord, I pray that you'd work in us, Lord, to bring us down this road of recovery. I pray everybody listening, Lord, to this episode today. I pray that they'll be diligent today to bring honor and glory to you. I pray when tomorrow comes, if we're blessed with tomorrow, you'd give us a brand new desire to do the same thing over again. And I'm just believing in faith right now that you're going to bring us to a place on this road to recovery that we're going to be able to look back and confess with all our heart in truthfulness, I'm not that person anymore. I don't struggle with that addiction anymore. I've been set free. So I thank you, Lord, for the recovery that you offer us. I thank you for the freedom that you offer us and the transformation that's available in Jesus name. Amen.